journey. We're going through a book that many people have never heard about or heard of. It's Zechariah. And you're going, yeah, okay. Old Testament, we lose a lot of them. There's a whole bunch of books at the end of the Old Testament that a lot of us just go, I, the, the funny names, can't remember them all. But Zechariah is one of them. But God has a lot to say to us in this book. And so we're taking a look at it. We are taking a journey through it together. We are. And we want to be, God always calls us, when he calls us into a new thing, he calls us not to look back. Right When he called his people out of Egypt, he said, don't look back, just keep going forward to the promised land. When he called his church uh, to be the church, he said, don't look back at the things, the ways that you used to do things, because that doesn't matter anymore. I want you to think about the ways that I am calling you to, uh, the life I'm calling you to live, grab hold of, and the ways that I'm asking you to do things. And so that's where we're at. And, uh, and so we are about halfway through that. We got a couple more weeks left. And uh, I am excited about this morning because it's a really important piece of that message. Um, this last week, I, uh, I gave our lawn kind of its first spring cut. I don't know if many of you guys were out there. It started getting a little bit too high, and so I had to cut it down. Now, each time I do that in the spring, it reminded me, you know, every time I do that in the spring, I can't tell you how much I empathize with all the bears that are coming out of hibernation right now. All those bears that are trying to jump into that life that they knew before they laid down and didn't move for about five months, right? So I come out and I'm, <laughs> I was, it, it beat me up. It took me about three days just to recover doing the lawn. I mean, we have a catch bag. It's not like a hand push mower. This is powered and everything, but it still, it took me. Now, one of the things I know about that is I know that, okay, I went into it. I knew I had the strength to get it done. I knew that also, I know that as the summer goes on, I will build up the stamina so it won't beat me up every time. But it did bring up this question, what about those projects that God calls us into in our lives where we do not have the ability to get it done? Because God does do that to us. You know that, right? He doesn't give us stuff that we can get done on our own. Many times he gives us things that are beyond us. In today's passage, in Zechariah, we have you know, our friend King Zerubbabel, love that name. Um, he's facing this task where God is asking him, he's saying, I need you to build my house. Now, if you wanna talk about a task that is impossible for us to do as human beings, it is to build a house for God to live in. The God who created everything, he says, I want you to build my house. It was impossible humanly, but God had a word for him. So let's stand together. We're going to hear what God said to Zerubbabel because it's also what he is speaking to us. Zechariah 4, verse 6 through 10. Then the angel said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the capstone of this house with shouts of grace, grace to it. Also, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. 
Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, for who has despised the day of small things? Did you know that just like that temple that Zerubbabel was, was building, that God was using him for, do you know that God has a work going on in you to build a place where his spirit dwells, where his presence is known, where heaven literally touches earth through you. What's amazing is how often sometimes in that project, we often try and take it over, right? We let God start it, but then we want to define it. We want to direct it. We want it to kind of end up and go the way that we want it, and we try to finish it, but literally we can't. We don't have the ability. We don't have the, the insight, the wisdom, the strength. We don't even know. We don't know enough about ourselves to know what or how he is building. We don't have the power. And so God says, you know what? I still want to get it done. So this is going to take a different kind of power. This is going to take my spirit to get this done. Right? Amen? Today's message is titled, A New Power. Father, this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at some things that I think, honestly, they're always challenging. It's always challenging when you tell us, you know what, you can't get that done. I remember as a child, I used to sit there and whenever my parents would say, you can't do that, I'd try all the harder to do that. And most of the time, they were right. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough. I didn't have enough. I didn't know what I was doing. And Father, you are trying to build a house inside of us, a place where you dwell, a place where you make through our lives, you make yourself known in us and through us that your compassion and your grace and your power, the greatness, the beauty of heaven pours out. God, we want that. So we pray that you would be here and just show us, show us what does it take to cooperate you with you in that project, to cooperate with your Holy Spirit as he is building this. this if we talk about the wonders of the world. This is a wonder of all time. This is a wonder of all creation. So Lord, be here even today and build that in us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, beginning of the book, beginning of the whole story. It says the human beings were created in the image of God. And that has all kinds of implications, but one of the places that it shows itself is in the ways that we are capable, human capability. We are capable of incredible feats of strength, of, of ingenuity, of of. of um, sometimes of restraint, sometimes of, of holding back and sacrifice, sometimes of perseverance. Human beings are capable of amazing things. And sometimes it, it happens more often and in ways that we won't expect. Sometimes we're more capable than we can even imagine. You know, in 2011, there was this tow truck driver. His name was uh, Pedro Arzola, and he got stuck. He was trying to load a, a, a 
3,500-pound Cadillac Seville up onto his flatbed truck, and it rolled back, and he got pinned under the wheel. Well, there was this 295-pound, uh, <laughs> that's a big boy, um, offensive guard from the University of Southern Florida. He just happened to be eating lunch in the area, and uh, he heard Arzola's wife's screams. He ran over. He single-handedly lifted up the car off of the man and pulled him out from under it. Saved his life. Now, some of us, we heard that, hear that story, and absolutely true. We hear that story and we go, well, of course, he was this huge football player, right? You know, when I was looking at this story, what I found out was there is also an account of a 50-year-old grandmother who uh, lifted a car off of her son. There's a story of a 22-year-old lifeguard in Virginia lifting the car off of her dad, right? Little, I mean, you look at her, you're going, I don't, and the account says she about tossed the car across the room. There's an account of these two teenage sisters in Oregon lifting a 3,000-pound tractor off of their father, a 72-year-old man in Canada lifting a car off of his son-in-law. So, I mean, these are just regular people, and they're doing these incredible things. Aside from stuff like that, we also, we send people to the moon, right? We build we build telescopes that can look to the other end of the universe. We, we, build, we build things that fly people through the air. We, we, we attack diseases and we find cures and countermeasures to them. It is amazing what human beings can do. We are capable of an enormous amount of things and that can lead us to believe that we could do anything we want to. But the truth is, is that we have our limits. And when it comes to eternal things, when it comes to supernatural things, when it comes to things about how, are we, how, do we, how can we be saved from this, this dilemma that we are in of our own brokenness and our own shortcomings, when it comes to God's stuff, we find that our capabilities find their limit. They find their end. And in that point, at that point, God has to step in and say, you know what, this is not gonna be about might, it's not going to be about power. It's going to be about my spirit. That's especially true when it comes to the thing, that project that he is most, he's most passionate about, that he is most committed to, that, that creating of that place where heaven and earth will meet, creating of that space inside of each one of us where he will dwell, creating that life through whom he can show all of who he is in our lives and through us. In the days of Zechariah and Zerubbabel, the temple was where God lived. The temple was where God showed himself. The temple in Jerusalem, and it was a big deal, but ever since Jesus, 1 Corinthians 3.16 reminds those who follow Jesus and asks them the question, do you not know that now you are the temple of God? Do we know that? You are the temple of God and you and the spirit of God dwells in you. In you. In me. And, and again, in, in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, and then in 2 Peter 2, verse 5, it says, also we together are being built into this, this home, this habitation of the Holy Spirit. 
So on the one hand, God is creating, he is building in each of us individually. He has this project going on, making up his home, making his place of residence, making this place where through each one of us, heaven will invade earth. But he's also saying, you know what? I also want you as a community to be that place where people experience Jesus, where people experience my power, where they, they come and they find me and they know me because I'm there. This has always been his plan. It's his greatest priority for our lives. So what that means is that we're amazing. Yeah, we're amazing as human beings because we've been created in the image of God. Even after that image was distorted and broken, we were still, we're amazing, able to do incredible things, but we are glorious. We bear the very image of heaven because by the grace of God, he sent Jesus Christ so that we could be made into the very habitation of God through his Holy Spirit. You guys, you guys should be jumping right now. I'm surprised how much restraint you're showing. It's amazing ability. <laughs> now, I know that many of you already know a lot of what I just said. The thing that always catches me in my own life and in, I mean, in all of our lives is I don't know that we always consider how, what these things have to do with our everyday life, right? About what it means that we walk around as temples of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. We say that we know that we've been born anew by Jesus. We know that his Holy Spirit lives in us. We, we say that we know that we've, we've been transformed in him. But often it seems like we try to take that after he started that, kind of like after we get that pass into eternity, after we get that promise that we're not under threat anymore, and then we try and take control of it and direct it in the ways that we want so that we can define how God uses us instead of realizing that, you know what? <laughs> we didn't start this thing, and there's no way that we can continue it and there's absolutely no way we can bring it to a conclusion. We can't do that. Eternal life is that we have given ourselves to him and every day that we realize that we are no longer the ones who are determining where we go, how we go, or how we get this life done because God has started to rebuild in us something we don't even have the resources to complete. In Galatians 3.3, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to uh, several churches that he had started, that God had used him to plant. And he says this to them. He asks them, he says, are you so foolish as to believe that having begun in the spirit, <laughs> somehow you're now going to be perfected in the flesh? <laughs> and it's, he's, he's just dumbfounded at how anyone would even consider that to be possible. We didn't start this thing. We're not going to finish it. That's why God, that's what God is also talking about. He even says in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 3, 23 and 24, he says, let not the wise, the one who is wise, boast in their wisdom. Let not the one who is mighty boast in their might. Let not the one who is rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast in this, that they understand and know me. And, and from last week, you guys remember, so last week we talked about this word know in Hebrew. It doesn't just mean no facts. It means to know by, by, by experience, to know someone or something by this interaction, by a relationship that's built. 
So we don't, we don't brag. God's people are not those who brag about what they are able to do, how they're able to shape their own lives and their own abilities. We're those who, we brag about the fact that even though we didn't have anything that was able to shape our lives in the most important ways, that God through Jesus, by his grace, has done the impossible in us. That God through Jesus, by his grace, he now lives in us and that we know him, not just the facts about him that you might find in a religion or in any people kind of grasping to try and figure out who God is. No, we know him because he's right here. He's there making himself known through us. So our greatness is not found in some outward expression of power or strength or or wealth, our greatness is found only in the one who lives in us. Do we know that? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in vessels made out of clay so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be seen as of God and not as from us. Anything we accomplish that's worth anything is not of us. It's not going to be of us. So then the angel turns to, in Zechariah and, and, and turns kind of outward from Zerubbabel as Zerubbabel is kind of making his way to, to enter into this building project. And he says, so what, oh, what are you, oh great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a flattened plain. Do you know when mountains will become molehills in your life? You know where that's going to happen? It's going to happen in that place where God is wanting to make his glory known and something big stands in the way. He will flatten it to make himself known. It's not about us having an a easier life. It's not about us kind of God backing us up so we can make a name in this world. It is about God making his glory known in us and making, letting heaven come in and just show itself in the midst of earth so that you would be known as that one in whom God dwells. So it doesn't matter if it's a mountain of, of sickness. It doesn't matter if it's a mountain of, of debt or sorrow or anxiety or, or, or fear. It doesn't matter says, what are you, O mountain, in front of Zerubbabel? Why? Because Zerubbabel was great? No, because he said, this is by my spirit now. I'm going to show myself in this. And that's exactly what God is saying through your life. If you have said, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, then God says, then I'm going to show myself through you. And there's not a mountain in this world that can stand in front, but not by might, and not by power, by his spirit, by his ability. And yet we, treat, we keep trying to shape our lives so that we look more like mountains, don't we? Right? We chase after success. We chase after wealth. We chase after importance and, and status in this world. Because, and sometimes we, we rationalize it because then God can show his glory better but his priority is always to save us from this world not to make us great in it it's to rescue us out of the brokenness of this world 
so that he can bring us into a life that you can't even imagine in this world, that we would be those touch points of heaven, that we would be the very dwelling place of the spirit of the one who created the universe. In Zechariah's day, the people, they were sitting around, they were weeping about the new temple as it was being built because it was so much smaller. And they remembered, they remembered Solomon's temple that had been torn down 70 years earlier. They remembered how big it was. They remembered it was covered with gold. They remembered how beautiful it was. They remembered the setting of just the beauty of Jerusalem before it had been attacked by Nebuchadnezzar. And they remembered that and they wept. And God turns to them and he asks, why do you despise this day of smaller things? Because he's saying, you know what? The size of the temple isn't the point. You weren't, we were never gonna build a temple big enough to house God. It's not the point. It was never the carrier that was going to make the glory of God known. Why are you despising? And we need to remember that, don't we? Because we need to know that God is not made known more effectively through a billionaire. He's not made known more effectively through a powerful politician or through like a top athlete from the most powerful nation on earth. Listen to this. God can change the world through an unknown, unassuming, powerless child born in a nation that nobody cares about. He did it through Jesus. It's not the size of the temple that matters. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit. God has said, if you give your life to me, my Spirit takes up residence in you. It doesn't matter what you look like in this earth. It doesn't matter what kind of things that you think that you're going to attain in this earth. Because God loves to show his glory through the the small and the unexpected. He loves that. (laughs) Have you ever heard the story that Jesus told about the mustard seed? He said, you know, the mustard seed, smallest, smallest of the seeds in the garden, and yet it grows to the greatest, the biggest plant in the garden. He says, you know what? That's what, the, that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Have you ever heard the story of how we were created? That at the beginning, those who bear the very image of God, you know how we were created? Out of the dust of the ground. He took the dust of the ground, and then when did, it, when did we start bearing this image? He breathed his life into us. Have you heard about how God's people Israel began? There was this really old couple. (laughs) I mean, really old. Way beyond having kids. And God said, you know what? You're going to have a son. And not only that, you're going to have heirs that outnumber the stars of the sky. And they just, they looked at themselves. They said, well, that's not going to help. And they believed God. And as a result of that faith put in the God who could do whatever he wanted to do, it says as a result, at the end of this story, at the end of this book, what we end up is their children. (laughs) It's this multitude from every tribe and every tongue and every language, every nation that are gathered before the throne of God because this couple that couldn't do it on their own, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, they believed God Have you heard about how the youngest son of an unconsidered house in Israel became God's greatest king? Have you heard about how God's most, uh, the the wisest king of Israel, the, the most powerful king of Israel, 
came out of this background, came out of a union that started in murder and adultery and shame and sin. So it's not about where we come from. Have you heard about how how God regularly uses left-handed outcasts as deliverers? Have you heard about how God uses nobody fig farmers as his greatest prophets? Have you heard about how God uses fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples? How he calls the women who were just completely unvalued in their day, but he calls them as his first proclaimers of his gospel and of his resurrection. Why? Because God regularly calls little things so that we would know that the power doesn't come from them, the power comes from him. 1 Corinthians 1.26, God wants us to examine ourselves when we ask ourselves and we consider these things. Are we trying to be great so that God can use us, or are we realizing that God uses the small things? In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, for consider your own calling, brothers and sisters. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but rather God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of this world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. If there's one message that's consistent throughout scripture, it's it's this, Don't seek to be great in this world and in the ways this world considers great and don't don't despise becoming small in the ways that this world considers small. Seek instead to be filled by the one who is the greatest of all. The one who made himself nothing on our behalf. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by his spirit. Three things I wanna leave with us today. The first is this. You guys, I don't talk about this topic very much, but God said, you know what, we need to bring this up. There is a judgment coming. There's no question about it. It's not a judgment against us per se. It's a judgment against all those things that are in us, that are broken, that are sinful, that are arrayed against God. If we remain aligned with those things, then we get swept away in that judgment. But Jesus has come And he has come as the only way to avoid being swept away by that judgment. In Jesus Christ, God offers us this new life. And and honestly, I mean, I don't know how we would look at it. You know, either stay in this house that's going to be destroyed by fire or else let God do this thing so that we become the very house of God. I don't see why we would hold out against that. But this morning, if that is not a place that you've already gone, that is a place that God is always inviting you. 
get out of the way of judgment, get out of the way of this fire that's coming, and instead find yourself rebuilt as the very house, the very dwelling place, that place where heaven and earth meet and touch. So the first thing is just this, this judgment is coming. And we need to know that. We need to be prepared for that. Second is this. Some of you guys have. You have let Jesus remake you. You've been remade in Christ. You have been uh, born again and it, born anew of his spirit. And he says when that happens, we, we take on his very, his very nature, his very character, And in Hebrews 12, 29, it says, you know what? Our God is a consuming fire. And that means that you have have taken into yourself, you've taken on, you have been recreated as people of that fire, of that consuming fire. Not a fire like in your campground, you know, or a backyard, you know, around your fire pit. Not that. I mean the fire that came like at Pentecost when tongues of fire set on their heads and, and empowered them to go out and just, turned the world upside down. But it didn't, it didn't start with the world. It started inside of them because there was this empowering, but it was the, the, very, the very person of God came in and they realized, you know what? We are no longer of this world. We have been consumed as far as the things of this world. All that remains is the things of God. We've been prepared for his kingdom. You guys, that's what saves us. We're not just saved because we are who we are and God just kind of rest, you know, we just happen to pray a prayer or whatever. He transforms us into those who now fit his kingdom and don't fit this world any longer. So we are brought out of these things that are going to be incinerated by God's judgment, which is coming. And we are created into those beings that are a part of his world, that are just made of his glory, that are of his glory, of his fire. But the third thing is this, and this is kind of what that means, is that what can burn away in you needs to burn away in you. There's a word in uh, the New and the Old Testament, it's a word, uh, repentance. And what it really means is that we take those things that, that we just we let go. We, we turn away from the things that are of this world because we don't belong here anymore. Right? So we let go of those things like might and power because we know that those things aren't going to help us anymore. We let go of those things like of chasing things like fame and riches. In this world's wisdom or this world's methods or this world's philosophies, we, we let go of things like fear and shame that are so bound to this world and have nothing to do with those who are born of God. We let go of things like deception and divisions and diversions and addictions and, and all these pursuits of this world. We let go of those things because they don't have anything to do with us anymore because we have been recreated as God's people, God's children, God's own family. And instead, we let his spirit transform us. We let his spirit transform us into those who are fit for his kingdom, who, who only look, we start to look like Jesus and who, who 
we, he, starts, he starts really heating up, I mean, turning up the flame inside of us until all that remains is just his glory. We let it burn its way from the inside out so that it becomes who we are. That's when people start to see Jesus. That's who Jesus was. It revolted some people. It terrified some people. But it so drew some others because it said, you know, I recognize in him, I recognize that thing that I've always wished, I always had hoped for. I, always, I recognize in him the God who I believe. They saw in him the very glory of God. And he says, that's what he wants to do in you. That's what he wants to do through you. You guys, but that requires, that requires just laying it down, just laying it down and saying, I, letting it go, letting him consume it and consume you so that all that is left is him. Now, I know that sounds kind of um, theoretical. I haven't given you as, you know, go out and do three push-ups and, you know, five Hail Marys or something like that. I haven't said that because that's not, it is that internal work where you are wrestling with the spirit and he says, you know what, this got to go. And you say, it's yours. Boom. Into the fire. Gone. This pursuit is not of me. This pursuit is only for your good. It's for your selfishness. It's for your ego. It's for you. It's be done with it. Even that ego, that pride, that arrogance that you have, just let it, let it be consumed so that you don't have it. Let him consume it so that he can show himself through you. And it's not going to be my might. It's not going to be by power. It's not going to be by religion or focus or philosophy or discipline. It's going to be by his spirit. You guys, we need to pursue the Spirit. We have to pursue the Spirit. We have to pursue becoming those individuals, but also that community where, where God is known, where God is encountered, where his presence, his power is felt and found. That's why Jesus came. Amen? Amen.